0: We're in John chapter 3, starting in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things unto his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains
1: on him. Just a few moments will come to the Lord's table and the elements will be sent to you, but let me share a bit farther in our trek through the Gospels in our attempt to lift up the magnificence of Christ to you through the Gospels. Last week, you remember we took a little break from the theme in one sense of going through the Gospels and finding the magnificence of Christ. And I made a point to tell you that we were going to look specifically in this day at the life of the John the Baptist. And so it wasn't, it wasn't the normatic theme of going through and lifting up the magnificence of Christ, but rather we lift up the life of John the Baptist. And the reason for that was because he was one passionate about lifting up the magnificence of Christ. And so we looked at a life and what entails a life and what causes a life to tick that is passionate about lifting up the magnificence of Christ. And of course, the scripture verse That spurred all of this is in the text just a few verses before what Pastor Jason read to you where John says he must increase and I must decrease or I must decrease and he must increase. John was passionate about the magnificence of Christ being seen and he knew the way that could best be done was for him to pull back at that point in his ministry. We shared several things about that life. Let me just tell you three things quickly, remind you of what we said. A life that really is passionate about that, what it looks like to one degree or another. First of all, it is a life that looks often to the sun, looks often to Christ, daily, if you will, looks to the magnificence of Christ in the Gospels. If, if, you, if you're going to magnify Christ with your life, if you're going to have a passion about Christ and a passion about His gospel, you must look to Him every day. You need the gospel every day. You need the gospel several times a day so that the magnificence will rise up in your soul and will be the overflow of your life. And as we said three weeks ago, we looked at the life of Spurgeon. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Spurgeon was admonished by that man in that pulpit today who said very little, but one thing he said was, look to the lifted up Christ. Look and see that He is your curse bearer. That He is the one who bore your sin. And there's lots of places in Scripture where it talks about that and describes the way Christ did that. And I just shared one of them where He became a curse for us. That passage, But there's multitudes of passages describing what the lifted up Christ did. One of the things I would say to you if, if you're wrestling with that, l- read chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. Just go to the book of Romans and read the book of Romans. It talks about what Christ accomplished as he was lifted up. And look to that. Look to it until you see. And you see for yourself personally. So that's the first aspect. The second thing and the third thing really are are kind of the outgrowth of looking. If we really are looking, and we're looking constantly and looking daily and looking repetitively to that, it will produce in us if we're really seeing, and none of us see perfectly. You understand, we look through a glass darkly, we don't ever see it perfectly. But the more we see it, to the greater degree that we see it, the greater degree that we look and see it will produce humility in our hearts. You don't become humble by deciding I'm going to be humble and focusing on humility. If you do that, as we said last week, you'll be proud of your humility. That's not humility. Humility comes when you see what God has done for us in Christ. When you begin to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and how that speaks mercy to us. You do just what Paul said. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory. Which is the opposite than saying and living for me to be the glory. The more you see of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the more humility you will project to the world and will be about your life. The more we understand the gospel, the more we chew on it, The more we are passionate about it, the more we center our lives in it, it knocks every prop out from under us of pride. Every prop gets knocked out the more you see of Christ. And then finally, it produces joy. For John, his greatest joy was for Christ to increase. As you see Christ increasing and you see people having Christ increase within them, just this morning in the foyer, you, you, the person I inter, interacted with didn't say it that way, but that's really what you're saying. I'm seeing more of the glory of God. I'm seeing more of the increase of Christ. There's nothing in my heart that produces more joy than when you realize that's happening in another life. Because you know the joy it created in your own. I remember in the early 80s as I was pastoring this church, when I began to see a greater degree of the glory of God in the face of Christ, it produced incredible joy and when you've once experienced that joy your greatest joy is to have others in fact your joy gets doubled when others experience that joy so that's what the life of one who magnifies christ looks like now john goes on here and talks a little more about why he must decrease and christ must increase and and in essence what he's saying is that's what's going to happen he must increase he must and really what he's saying is he will he will we're only participating in what is going to happen he will increase till one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess every tongue every knee he must increase it is not optional in one sense he will increase and then he says why he tells us in this passage this morning why he will increase. But before I read that, I want to read to you something that I clipped off the Internet. It's a, it's a blog that I just recently have looked at a little bit. And it's by the grandson of Billy Graham, who pastors now Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, which is in on the East Coast. He's taken over that that pastorate from um, James Kennedy who's recently passed away but Billy Graham's grandson writes this and and this is a summation really now of of a life passionate about the gospel a passionate about Christ increasing a life that understands that we need the gospel every day that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day we need to hear it more than once a day in our lives in various ways in order for us to see more of the magnificence of Christ and portray that to the world. But just listen to what he says. I I try to read different people to you and, and different people who say, really, in essence, preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's what he's saying here. And in fact, I'm not very techie. In fact, I'm less techie than I was last week because I dropped my cell phone in the well pit and all my contacts. And so uh, I'm not a real techie. But this almost makes me want to join Twitter, what he says here at the end. When I see the value of this with Twitter, I think, oh, maybe I'm missing it. But listen to what he says. I'm addicted to the gospel. It burns inside of me and it seems to get hotter every day. I can't stop thinking about it, talking about it, writing about it, reading about it, wrestling with it. Reveling in it, standing on it, and thanking God for it. For better or for worse, my focus has become myopic. My passion has become singular. Lesser things don't distract me as easily. I'm not as anxious as I used to be. I don't fret over things as much. I'm more relaxed. What others think of me, either good or bad, doesn't matter as much as it used to. I'm enjoying life more. The pressure's off. I actually think I'm beginning to understand the length and breadth of the freedom Jesus purchased for me. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The gospel is daily becoming for me more than a theological passion, more than a cognitive reality. It's becoming my functional lifeline. And it's this rediscovery of the gospel's power that is enabling me to see that Because Jesus was strong for me, I'm free to be weak. Because Jesus won for me, I'm free to lose. Because Jesus was someone, I'm free to be no one. Because Jesus was extraordinary, I'm free to be ordinary. Because Jesus succeeded for me, I'm free to fail. This is beginning to define my life in a brand new, bright and liberating ways. I believe God wants this liberating truth to define your life as well and the life of the church corporately. And I, I agree with him. There is a movement. There is a movement in our land to let the gospel de- define corporate church life in congregation after congregation after congregation. Folks, we have lost the gospel. And we're finding it again. The church is finding the gospel again. Because I'm telling you right now, When you begin to understand that, everything you need and long for in Christ you already possess, it enables you to live a life of scandalous freedom, unrestrained fearlessness, and unbounded courage. When you don't have anything to lose, you discover something wonderful. You're free. Nothing in this broken world can beat a man who isn't afraid to lose. And when you're not afraid to lose, you can say crazy, counterintuitive stuff like, To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's pure, unadulterated freedom. But it's Scripture. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's not lip service Paul is making there. He means it because the Gospel so possessed Paul's life and now Julian's life. And this is what he says about Twitter. This is why I tweet as much as I do. I'm processing the gospel all day long in 140 characters. Therefore, from time to time, I post some of my most recent tweets to show you how God is working the gospel deeper into me and what I'm learning. Twitter has become for me an online personal journal. I hope you can benefit from the things God is teaching. Now, there are lots of things that aren't worth Twittering about. And you can get... You can get obsessed with Twitter in the wrong ways. And you can just find the latest technique of technology and get distracted from what's really important in life. But Twittering in 140 characters or less about the gospel? That's using it for God's glory, I think. Listen to some things he says. The banner under which Christians live reads, It is finished. Another Twitter, since a Christian's value and identity is anchored in Christ and is not anchored in being right, the gospel frees us to admit we're wrong. The gospel frees us from trying to impress people and prove ourselves to people and make people think we're something that we're not. The gospel frees us to realize that while we matter, we're not the point. Doing will become instinctive and spontaneous only when our hearts become deeply gripped By what's been done. Only the gospel can liberate us from the miserable, unquenchable pursuit to make something of ourselves by using others. Because everything we long for, we already possess in Christ. We're now free to love people, not use them. And then one last Twitter. Christian, the level of passion with which God loves you is not determined by the level of passion with which you love him. The son's passion for you secured the father's passion for you. And on they go, I'm sure. But that's what we mean about the gospel. It's, multi, it's multi-dimensional in the ways in which the Bible expresses it to us. It's one thing. It's one point. It's not of points. It's one point. But different ways and different angles we look at it and see it and hear it. And different metaphors are given to describe it. But I pray God will help us to be like John the Baptist, who I think in his in his era was one who would have known what it meant to preach the gospel every day because the gospel was Christ and he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase in our lives if we're going to live out this life of faith. Now, this is the must part of that in this text. Quickly, we'll look at this and then we'll move to the table. He must increase because of these reasons. There's really four reasons I pulled out of this text. And it begins at verse 31. Four reasons why he must increase. First of all, in verse 31, look at it there. It says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly ways. He who comes from above is above all. In other words, what I think John is saying there is... I can't save you. The reason He must increase is because I'm from the earth. I'm a son of Adam. And I can't save you. My life will not save you. There's only one who came from heaven. And that's Christ. And He is the one you must look to to be saved. Only Christ can save you. If you're following a person and he says nothing about Christ or Christ is minimized in what he says, it won't save you. Only Christ can save you. That's why John was passionate about magnifying Christ. He knew nothing in his baptism save people. It was whom his baptized, baptism represented Christ. That's what saves people. The one from above. I say to you this morning... The only thing and person who can save you is Jesus Christ. Don't make it harder than it is. But don't go around it. It, it's It's not something other than Christ. It's not something added to Christ. It is Christ. You must look to the lifted up Christ. That's what saves us. John knew he didn't save people. The amazing thing that he says here is what comes from above saves us. Again, we go back and I'm not going to reiterate all that. But the most powerful thing to me in recent years in, in my life and in my ministry has been seeing the incarnation of Christ in new and greater ways. That God came from above and entered into the brokenness fully to save us which moves to my second point in verse 33. There it says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. God is true. Um, he who looks to this and sees this and, and affirms this, that, that this life comes in Christ, is affirming that God is true. If you've seen Christ, you've seen God. If you've wondered what the heart of God the Father is like, look at the heart of God the Son. If you have boughten the lie that in the Old Testament we have one God, in the New Testament we have another God, you're deceived. The Bible says if you look to this Christ and all that the Scripture says that He is, you see God. This one came from above. God entered in. Fully God entered in to be fully man. Into the brokenness. That's the gospel. He came into the brokenness to redeem us from the brokenness. And the scripture says, Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Young people and old people alike today, the lie is there's no truth. or if there is a truth, you don't know which one to choose from. Which truth is the right truth? Which truth is the truest truth? The Bible says here, Jesus is the truest truth. And you will only know that, interestingly, as you affirm the truth. There's something about standing on the sidelines and saying, I want to know what's true. I want to know what truth is. And as soon as I know what truth is, then I'll Embrace that truth. But the problem is, you can't know this truth till you receive this truth. Till you receive Christ as the truth. And as you do, you begin to affirm that truth that is true. So this morning, he's going to increase. He's going to increase because he's the only one who can save us. Because he comes from heaven. And he can, he's going to increase because he's true. It's true. There's nothing going to stop this truth. And so this morning, the admonition and this, the testimony is that many see his testimony, but they don't receive it. But those who receive it find it to be true. If you're standing on the sidelines today and have bought in the lie that there's no truth, receive this truth. And God will confirm to your heart it's true. Thirdly, the scripture says in verse 34, he must increase because he utters the words of God in verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God for he gives the spirit without measure. That's an amazing statement, that Jesus utters the words of God. It's a reiteration, really, that if you want to know who God is, look at Christ. Because He utters the words of God. Utters the words of the Father. And interestingly, it says, He gives, and when it talks about He giving, it's talking about God the Father. God the Father gives to the Son the fullness of the Spirit. the, The Spirit without measure all of the Spirit goes there. And, since, and that whole connotation is in the Old Testament, you, you read different times that the Old Testament prophets received, a, a, received a, a, a measure of the Spirit. They had a measure of the Spirit. And so there were lots of voices that came pointing to this one, Christ, who had a measure of the Spirit but not the fullness, not the full measure of the Spirit. This one, John declares, has the full measure of the Spirit. This is the one that all the others were pointing to. This is the one to look to. He is the one who utters the words of God, utters the truth. And so he must, yes, he will increase, because he's the truth. And then finally, in verse 35, it says this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The final thing that we see here is Jesus must increase. He will increase because the Father trusts Him. The Father trusts Him completely. The Father trusts the Son. It says that He gives all things into His hand. He loves Him and gives all things into His hands. Salvation rests in Christ. Truth rests in Christ. You want to see God? Look to Christ. Don't look all around. Don't buy the lie of other things. Look to Christ. He must increase. He will increase because all of those things are true. He's the one who came from heaven. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who's true. He's the only one the Father trusts to do that work. Now, the question is, what's our response to that? Because it says here in the Scripture, whoever believes in the Son, all of that about the Son, has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What does it mean when it says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life? Whoever does not obey the Son, that seems to change wording, doesn't it? But to believe in the Son, to believe in Him, is to trust that He is all that it just said. To believe is to trust. And so another word for, for not obeying is not to trust that this is true. All this that's been written is true. Romans talks about the obedience of faith. Don't, don't get hung up by obedience. The obedience it calls for here, the disobedience it calls and talks about here is a disobedience that fails to acknowledge the truth and look to the truth. That's what disobedience looks like. And the terrifying part of that is it says that the wrath of God remains on him. If you are not looking to the sun today, if you're not looking to the lifted up Christ and you're looking someplace else, the Bible teaches the wrath of God remains on you. Christianity teaches the wrath of God remains on you. So don't don't bring Christianity as a label to what you're doing if you think otherwise. Now you can take somebody else's teaching you can take somebody else's philosophy of life and death and you can label that to what you're doing but the scripture very plainly says if we don't look to the son if we don't look to the one who came from heaven who is the only one who is true and we will know he's true by looking to him and the only one who can, can free us from our sin then the wrath of God remains on us If you're looking at another way to remove that wrath, it's not Christianity. So I admonish you this morning, look to the sun. We're back to three weeks ago where Spurgeon was admonished as a 16-year-old to look to the sun. Because not only must he increase, as John the Baptist said, he will increase. And one day everyone will look to him. But for some, the wrath of God will have been removed. For others, the wrath of God will remain. This table speaks to us to the fact that we don't have to fear that wrath as we look to the Son. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning to this table. And we do it as we look to the Son. It points us to the Son who's been lifted up to be a curse-bearer for all who look to Him. And it's in the very fact that You are that curse-bearer for them that the wrath is removed. It's no longer there. No longer do we need to fear it because the curse that was meant for us was put on You. And so today as we come, Lord, we come. We come in that light. We come grateful for that. We come humbled by that. And we come more determined than ever to double our joy by telling the world about the increasing Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to distribute the elements to you in the pews this morning. And we'd ask that you hold them and we'll partake together. Matthew is going to lead us this morning in song. And you're welcome to join in with him even as we prepare our hearts this morning. I'd like for those to come who are going to help us this morning. This represents to us the body of Christ. The one who must increase, take and hold it, and we'll partake together.
0: The throne of God above I have a strong A perfect plea A great high priest Whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hands My name is written on his heart, I know that while in him he stands, no tongue can bid me that depart, no tongue can bid
1: whom this represents will increase because he's true. He speaks the words of God and he came to redeem us. Take and eat as a declaration of that truth. one who came as truth, came in flesh and blood. He came from heaven, but he came to live fully as man as well as fully God. This represents to us again the one who we look to this morning, take and hold it, overtake together.
0: tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see Him there who made that hand to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul this
1: songwriter said when tempted to despair what does he do upward he looks and sees him there gospel isn't just for coming to life it's for living out this life of faith we need the gospel every day that's why I think Jesus gave us this Ordinance and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He knew it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't a one-time experience in the sense of being lifted up. We need to see him lifted up continually in our lives. You need it. I need it. Take and drink and throw away that despair this morning. Stand with me. We're going to sing that gospel. this morning stoke our passion regarding the Gospel of Your Son. May it be more than just a cognitive experience, but may it functionally be where we live every moment of our lives. For we know that it comes from You and through You. And we live our lives to you now, Lord. To God be the glory. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.